Hey guys, I'm Abby. And I'm Ricky. And And this this is Woman to Woman, a gender leadership podcast. For today's episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about the gender pay gap. So what exactly are we talking about when we say that, Ricky? So it's mainly the difference between men and women's median earnings. So women's earnings as a percentage of white men's earnings by race and ethnicity as of 2017. Hispanic or Latinx people made nearly 53%. Black or African Americans made 61%. White women made um, 77%. And Asian Americans made 85%. And in 2017, women working full-time in the United States typically were paid just 80% of what men were paid. How do those numbers make you feel? To me, I feel it's very disheartening. Me being a black woman, 61% Mm -hmm. to that of the man's is just, is wow. And that was in 2017. We're not too far from that now. In 2019, I feel like there hasn't been much progress with it. It's not because it's Mm -hmm. not being recognized, because I feel like now there's more recognition around the topic of the gender wage gap. Mm -hmm. But it's still, I don't know, this stigma of men being better or more equipped for jobs. But I feel like that's just simply not the case, because there are women who are just as qualified and just as educated. But where's this discrepancy? Like, why is this the 61 versus the 100 percent like where is that 40 percent going and why and also like what most people see is like oh well 80 percent to 20 percent is like no but when you like divide more into that it's different for african-americans it's different for latinx it's different for like asian americans and everything else Mm -hmm. but what makes my performance be worth 20% less than that of my male counterparts. Right. It's literally just saying, like, well, just because. 20%. Yeah, like, it's, there's no valid reasoning. There's no, like, nothing they're pointing to that's saying that, oh, you did this differently than the way the man did it. It's, like, literally exactly. the same content, the same work ethic, but where is the discrepancy that you're bringing up when you drop this percentage of, 53% versus the 100%, right. it just doesn't make any sense to me. And it's disheartening and it's angering because that's that's going to be the reality for us, I guess, very mm-hmm. soon because we're graduating. Right. So we're going to be either going into higher education or we're going to be going into the workforce. And I feel like that's what we're going to be introduced to and that's right. something that's going to be a part of our reality. Yeah, it's telling me that no matter what, with the same education, I'm still going to make less. But what makes it that way? Tell me what I can do to better myself. Like I feel like yeah. women of color, especially, are probably like more likely to ask, "What can I do to earn my stay?" Basically, and it's like, well, I feel like there aren't any definitive there's answers because no, there's, there's no nothing reason. that we're not doing right, and we are qualified and well-rounded for these positions. It just doesn't show in the numbers, right? Especially on the college campus, I feel like gender wage gap. That wasn't a term that I knew or was familiar with. Mm-hmm. But using this podcast and this platform, I feel like we're going to be enlightening a lot of people on campus and in the community because it's not something that's talked about, mm-hmm. which is something that clearly should be talked about because it's it's not fair. It's an inequity. And the thing is, it doesn't just happen in office setting or mm-hmm, um, with teachers, with doctors. It's literally happening everywhere. Yeah. Like that just shows like their range, even in like sports. So like out of um, Forbes 2017 list of like 100 athletes for the world's highest paid only one is a woman like number 51 is serena williams 
we all know Serena Williams. That's a big name in media, right. in the news. So it's not that she's not performing well because she's racking up these Wimbledon. She's doing all of this. <laughs> right. But still, somehow, there's a discrepancy in her pay. And there's only one woman on the list. And that shouldn't be the case because I know there are many prominent women in sports. Right. <laughs> it's definitely like a perpetuation of not wanting to see women in these different roles right. and like trying to keep them in these stereotypical roles of like the teacher, the person in the background. And now that they're getting their recognition, like there's there's people trying to combat that and they don't want that to be in the media. Even here on campus, we have both men's and women's basketball teams, mm-hmm. but the men's basketball team is completely overhyped and overshadows right. the women's basketball team. Even when they're doing great, they were on like a four win streak or something mm-hmm. like that. And nobody was talking about the women's basketball team. And it even shows in the arena they play in, they don't even get to play in the Dean Dome. So they're playing in like the old practice facility of the men's team. There's definitely a priority there. They're not being appreciated to the fullest extent that they could be. I remember going to like some of the women's basketball games. We just kind of went to all the games for like any event that had free stuff. You know, we kind of went there. They were giving out so much merchandise trying to get people to come to to like the women's games. Mm -hmm. They're giving their all out there on the court. Mm -hmm. And when I go to the games, it's not even halfway full. The stands are extremely empty. And then I feel like I think one of the announcers has said, oh, get your tickets today starting at only like five dollars or something like that. And I was like, that's crazy in comparison to the men's basketball games where people are paying two and three hundred dollars for like nosebleed seats, even like outside of the collegiate, because I know that's not something they get paid for here. But going on to like the NBA and the WNBA, the highest salary in 2017 for a WNBA athlete was 51000 Meanwhile, the wow. NBA salary was $6 million. What's going on there? Because there is no way they're not playing the same game. So yeah, I'm confused. Oh, like, where's the discrepancy? It's literally that you're playing the same game. Yeah. She's just a woman and this is a male. Whoever the worst player is, like bare minimum player in the NBA could get like, mm-hmm. No less than a million dollars a year. Exactly. I don't know. Yeah. And you're not getting the perks and the hype. And I know even when watching WNBA on television, it's just there's not that fan base surrounding like there is the men's. And like it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up because these women are like leaving their heart on the court and they're doing everything that the men are doing. They're not getting any All recognition they're getting for is, it. Well, it's the women's game is on. Yeah, so it's time yeah. to watch something else. Yeah, and I know like even a, a few weeks back, I had seen like something on Twitter. They were like making a joke about it, like during the Super Bowl, how the Super Bowl wasn't that great this year. Right. So people were like, oh, I'm going to switch over to the WNBA. And it was a video and they weren't playing that great. But that's just the perpetuation mm-hmm. of that like, women's basketball is lesser than men's basketball. Yeah. And it's not going to be as an exciting game. And there are women who are out here like they're really doing the thing and like like they're breaking these records and they're playing to their best of their ability and they're just not getting anything in return yeah so candace parker is like the highest played wnba's player and she basically makes three million in salary Mm -hmm. but steph curry makes easily 34 million like wow 34 million (laughs) <laughs> I can't even comprehend 34 million first and foremost because I'm a little broke. Candace yes. Parker has been She's around been like game. a legend, but it's like, yeah. okay, Steph Curry. Yeah, and that just goes to show how men <laughs> are like prioritized more and right. they're like glorified for things that they do. Like, oh, he's making all these threes. Yeah, but I mean, mm-hmm. she's doing the same thing. So what's right. the difference? People want to see men on the forefront of everything. And I feel like mm-hmm. when women start to do that, they feel like you're, they're detracting mm-hmm. from the men's fame or the men's glory or whatever that is. That's just a little fragile ego that shouldn't be a thing (laughs) right it all goes back to what's making the man more the most comfortable oh yeah 
So to learn more about the implications of the gender wage gap, we talked with a prominent woman of color on our campus, Dr. Gloria Thomas, who's also the director of the Carolina Women's Center. We have with us today in the studio, Dr. Gloria Thomas. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day and being here with us. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. So we would like to start off by asking you three questions. I'd like to call them the three W's. So who are you? What do you do? And why do you do it? Ah, great questions. So I like to think of myself as a gender equity advocate, and that's a part of my ongoing learning and education. I see myself as trying to promote and push for gender equity of all types. In addition to the work that I do, I, I also am a mother. I've been a single mother for most of my kids' lives of two young adults, and so that's an important part of my identity. Uh, the what, again, is the gender equity piece. I like to kind of work behind the scenes, even though my role is in many ways considered a leadership role. I like to be behind pushing and promoting and, and supporting other women, particularly those who have not had opportunities, uh, those who've been marginalized and historically underrepresented. I see myself as, as helping them get where they want to be and helping them fulfill their own dreams. So that's a little bit of the what and why. I, I come from a background where, you know, many, many years ago <laughs> when I was much younger and before children, I, I had some of these ambitions myself. I at one point thought I would want to be a college or university president. And then I got up close and saw that role from a very close perspective. And I thought, nah, not quite me, but I will help to support others. I just find myself wanting to help others get wherever they decide they would like to achieve or wherever they decide they'd like to land in their careers or in their personal lives. For this particular episode, we're going to be focusing on the gendership pay gap. AAUW defines the pay gap as the difference in men and women's median earnings, usually reported as either the earnings ratio between men and women or as an actual pay gap. Women in 2017 earned 80 cents to the dollar that men earned, which is a 20% pay gap. So I guess what I've come to learn about these numbers is as someone that's going to be graduating soon and going into the workforce and everything, I don't necessarily feel like all the work that I do is worth 20% less than my male client part, specifically because of their gender. Can you talk a little bit more about your own personal experience navigating the gender pay gap over the years? Yeah, good question. You've cited 80, 82 cents, I think, on the dollar for women uh, is what I heard you say. It's even lower for African-American and Latinas. Mm -hmm. And it's something around in the 60 or 70 cents mm -hmm. on a dollar range. And it's lower for Latinas than it is for African-American women. I think we've just got to be very smart about mm -hmm. negotiating that's one of our standard workshops at the Carolina Women's Center. It gets very difficult to negotiate for salary equity once you are in a role. That is a part of doing your homework when you're going in. And that's not to say that all of the burden should be placed on the women. There are some real structural barriers mm -hmm. here. And, and there could be a whole lot more transparency in what people are paid. It's not always easy to get exact salaries in that given year. Often mm -hmm. it's a year behind and sometimes salaries change in a year. But you can get some information to make a well-informed decision mm -hmm. about what you will negotiate for. When I was leaving ACE to, to go back onto a campus, I sat down with one of my mentors and said, okay, let's list everything that I should ask for. And some of it I knew was 
unreal. Even though this institution did not offer tuition for um, dependents of employees, I asked for it anyway. I asked for anything and everything I could think of and just let them say no, no, no. It's better to ask for and get a no than not to ask at all. And in addition to asking for the salary you think you are worth, you should ask mm-hmm. for anything and everything else. A new computer, mm-hmm. office space with a window, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> whatever you feel you need to do your job, mm-hmm. you need to ask for that going in. So I've tried to be very smart about that. I didn't know that starting out, but we know now that the disparities in pay especially for women of color, is real. You need to get as much information as you can. If you're going into a public sector job, often you can go to a librarian and and if you need help, ask them to help you look it up. Um, There are some organizations that collect data on private pay and salaries. Anyone and everyone needs to do as much as they can to find information about salaries. In higher education, there's an industry built around sharing salaries. The Chronicle of Higher Education often posts salaries. AAUP for faculty will post salaries. There are a lot of different organizations that have taken it up of posting salaries so that people are in the know. And whatever industries any individual is going into, they should find out who's collecting the salary data. Mm -hmm. Where can I go to get this? And if you don't know who to go to, ask a librarian because librarians will know. I think having that Uh, that kind of information Mm -hmm. with you uh, to inform your decision of, okay, what's the average here? What are the people making in this unit or this organization that I'm exploring that is interested in hiring me? You may not always know the exact starting salaries when someone might have started, but you can tell who's been in any particular organization one, two, three years. So some of the earlier people. Mm -hmm. Now we may get to this about, you know, what are some of the solutions, but there's a lot that our state legislatures could do Mm -hmm. to help make this information more publicly available. And of course we have the law that Obama implemented when when he first started, the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act, which means no one can be penalized if you find out or if you want to ask, well, what does this guy next to me make? Mm-hmm. You can Once upon a time, you could be penalized for that, but that's been removed now. It's a matter of making sure that that is enforced and as much of this information is available as possible, I think is important. Thank you for that. Going off what you said about being prepared with your like questions and these this information that you go into a job do you think that knowing that information and knowing like the baseline salaries do you think that makes you more or less likely to not get the job? Absolutely not. You don't start out an interview saying, okay, what's the salary here? (laughs) You have to be very strategic about when you talk about salary. Mm -hmm. And ideally, you don't talk about it until an offer is on the table. Mm -hmm. And that's when you raise it. There should be some knowledge or some awareness of what the range is. And you may not be able to pinpoint exactly what it is, but you have an idea of the bottom and the top. When an offer is on the table, it's at that point that you want to get, and you should have done some homework beforehand, and a lot of it is out there in almost every field. So it's not until, though, that you have an offer on the table that you even talk about salaries or some of the other very personal issues, like if you have a trailing or if a a spouse or partner, or if you have children Mm -hmm. that you need to accommodate in schools, not until an offer is on the table do you bring those subjects up. This episode is sponsored by the American Association of University Women, the nation's leading voice promoting equity and education for women and girls. 
Since their founding in 1881, AAUW members have examined and taken positions on the fundamental issues of the day, educational, social, economic, and political. Thank you, AAUW. So what are your thoughts on, like, why is there a pay gap? Why even from the ground up, essentially, why does it exist? Historically, we've had discrimination, every ism that you can think of. Black women have often, and other women of color, historically, we have been among the largest Black women have been the, among the largest mm-hmm. group in the labor force. We were serving in, in free labor <laughs> as uh, laborers in slavery. And then after Reconstruction, ended up in other people's homes, cleaning, caring for their children for pennies. And that's because we had to work for pennies. Mm. There were no other opportunities. It was my grandmother's role until she was able to, especially when she was living in Georgia, but when she moved to New York, she then was able to get into a nurse's aid job, which was a cleaning patients and serving patients. Mm. And um, so it wasn't very far removed, but it was a bit more professionalized. And then my mother did the same work. Mm. Uh, So without the education, there was historically this These are the jobs you were accepted into. Mm -hmm. You were accepted into caretaking jobs like uh, nursing or very low income, very low pay jobs, Mm -hmm. nursing, working with children. And then when you got an education, you could advance to a real nurse Mm -hmm. or a real teacher, Mm -hmm. not just an aide in the classroom. And that gets to another point. Black women have the highest levels of women achieving college degrees. Mm -hmm. And yet... We are still experiencing this low wage gap, even though we are more likely to to graduate at higher rates mm-hmm. than uh, African American men and many other wim- women of other racial and ethnic groups. Mm-hmm. If we are parents, we are often the wage earners of our homes. Like myself, with a PhD, I'm a single parent. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I've got to make decisions not only that will impact me in advancing my career, but I've got to make decisions that will impact them as well. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that may have meant staying in a position for a longer point or longer period of time than I wanted to Mm -hmm. because I couldn't move them or didn't want to move them just to take on another position. So the mobility may be an issue. Are there any number of factors in addition to the just historical his discrimination that we've experienced. And, mm-hmm. and we're still trying to move away from that. And it's not just the work that we need to do. It's mm-hmm. others seeing us as people who have the capacity and who have the skill set mm-hmm. or who have the know-how to be able to do these jobs. It's still the case where we're often viewed as the caretakers. Mm-hmm. Um, we're often viewed as, if not caretaking and nurturing, then it's the other opposite end, the, the angry black women who have an attitude. That's certainly the case how people view a lot of women in leadership, mm-hmm. but it's especially the case for women of color. I guess also something that I've found that's been reiterated to me throughout my Carolina experience is that it's harder for you to move down when you're like all the way at the top. But for the people that are on the bottom, it's harder for you to move up. So it's like people coming from a low income area with any type of circumstances surrounding them, like in the specific area, it's going to be harder for you to move up because everything is basically stacked up against you. So I guess what my question is, other than race, what are other identities and structures that can affect the pay gap for women? 
There are a whole lot of isms that are at play, and it can be any number of things. Mm -hmm. It it could be the way women of color wear their hair, the Mm -hmm. way they dress, and this could be linked to one's gender identity, and it may be that you know, one person might not be promoted because they're not viewed as feminine enough. It was just an issue when Hillary Clinton ran for president that she wore pantsuits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why was that an issue? She has on another pantsuit. It was yeah. blue, now yeah. it's red. <laughs> well, I don't know why things like that become an issue for, for women, but they do. Mm-hmm. There's this sort of European idealized model or template that we're expected to fit mm-hmm. into. And when you don't, then people view you differently. Differently is not always positive. Mm -hmm. That's not anything we need to do as individuals if that's not who we are. It's how society around us needs to change. And I Mm -hmm. think ever so slowly we're seeing people becoming more accepting, but we've got a long way to go. So I know you were speaking to that Black women where often they have the most like degrees coming out of higher education, but it's also been found that women in general hold two-thirds of the outstanding student debt in the United States. It's like totaling over like $900 million. So I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about the impact of college debt for women of color and how that flows into like the gender wage gap. Yeah. Because even if you're making X amount of dollars, you're still having to pay back student loans. So it's not really balancing out. And of course, your expenses are higher often if you are a single wage earner. You don't Mm -hmm. have a household where there's more than one person earning an income. Having to borrow more, it's not a cause of earning less, but it certainly impacts the pocketbook in major ways when you do earn less. Um, And you do see this high correlation between those who are earning relatively lower wages Mm -hmm. and the high debt. And you spoke about the high debt levels for women. It's especially high for for African-American women. Uh, That's Mm -hmm. another area where there's huge disparity. And here's another personal experience. I had my first child when I was in graduate school. I was funded for graduate school all the way up until I had a child. I had to get a student loan. So that was a lot of debt that I came out of graduate mm-hmm. school with. And here at 55, I'm still paying that debt. Um, that's been over 20 years that I graduated from graduate school. I'm still paying that debt for graduate school. Undergrad debt was very little. I didn't have kids. I had the college covering a lot of my expenses. Mm -hmm. It was very manageable. But once I became a parent, there was the child care, there was, you know, extra food. And at that point, when when she was born, I was not married to her father. So Mm -hmm. um, it it wasn't a two-income household. It was my household being managed by me and me being the provider for that child. It's important, I think, when you're going into certain fields that you really consider. Education is certainly worth the investment, Mm -hmm. but how much you should borrow should really be thought out carefully. I I remember having a a really close friend who was going to take the plunge and borrow almost $100,000 for a social work degree, a master's in social work, um, because she wanted to go to a very elite Ivy League social work program. You should really Mm -hmm. consider whether that's worth the investment. That's a lot of money. Yeah, that's a lot of money for a social work degree, an area Mm -hmm. which is very feminized. Mm -hmm. So feminized fields usually have a cap in, in terms of how much 
much you can typically earn. Mm -hmm. Teaching, nursing, social work, those are very feminized fields Mm -hmm. um, where it's more women than men. So you just need to be careful about, you know, what you see as, you know, a, a good return on your investment. Enjoying the podcast? Have comments, questions, or concerns? Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at UNC Women of Worth. That's UNC WOMXN of Worth. We here at the Women of Worth Initiative create and sustain a community for women of color and women who identify as members of underrepresented racial and ethnic populations that will promote academic success, holistic student wellness and success, identity development, and sisterhood at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Go Hills. And I know you spoke a lot during this session to like advocating for yourself as a woman and as you go into the workforce. So do you have any advice for those like negotiating tips that you were talking about, any skills that could be applied as we go out into the field to address the gender wage gap? Because we're going to be a part of that me this year. Sooner than I would like. Yeah. <laughs> very soon. I would say that when you're prepared, to step into an interviewing process and you've got an offer on the table, even before you get to that point, you want to line up people that you can sit down and talk with. You want to make sure you you have an idea of what fields you're going to consider, I'm sure, for Mm -hmm. jobs. You want to start looking at what the average starting salary is for those fields. And you want to look at what are some of the other benefits that come along because it's important to have good health insurance. It's Mm -hmm. important to have a certain number of days off. You want to see what the whole package Mm -hmm. entails. And you want to sit down with a friend like us at the Women's Center or any others. And perhaps we can start doing some workshops if needed on focusing on negotiating right out of college. We've been doing a lot of these workshops for graduate students. I know mm-hmm. my colleague just did one for postdocs and she's done it for other graduate students. But if we need to, you know, have a session for women of worth, we can do that for the seniors mm-hmm. who are going out and negotiating for their first job. But you want to make sure that you don't go at it alone. Mm-hmm. I made that mistake my first job out of college. I didn't know who to talk to. My mother hadn't gone to college. She had a 10th grade education. My sisters, none of them, no one had gone to college. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know who to talk to, but I should have found someone on my campus mm-hmm. who could have given me that feedback. I wanted to teach out of college. Uh, I was going to teach English in a high school, and I got a, an offer to teach at a private school in Philadelphia, and the salary offer was $200 a week. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, and this was, you know, that's exciting. early, <laughs> early 1980s, so, you know, it was uh-huh. probably, it was a low wage for that time, too, but it was mm-hmm. probably minimum wage or better at that point. Mm-hmm. I just said to the to the headmaster, I can't live on that. I mean, do you have a place for me to live uh-huh. that you're going to pay for? I just can't live on that. So I knew what my bottom line was, mm. but I ended up taking another position uh, until I got exactly what I thought was more aligned with what my interests were, which was back at the college that I graduated from. Nice. So talk to people. Start working on your network of giving you feedback right Mm -hmm. now. And then when you go in and you have your list of what you want, Mm -hmm. you could listen to a no. And that's okay. They've already made the offer. They can't rescind the offer. So this is why you do it at the point of when an offer is on the table. Mm -hmm. Because you don't want to take the chance of them not coming to you. Sometimes jobs, um, the postings will say, share with us your salary requirements. Don't ever do that. 
because that's that should be negotiable. Uh, mm-hmm. But when you go to negotiate, you should practice that. You say, you know, I, I've looked up the information and I found that the average starting salary for this field is X. So I'd like to have at least that, uh, you know, whatever it mm-hmm. is. But you want to be firm and you want to say this is what you know. You want to show that you've done your homework. Mm-hmm. And then you say you expect that that would be what the offer would entail. And you want to also look at anything else mm-hmm. that you feel you need to, to be successful in that job. Our last question is, why is addressing the gender leadership gap important to you? I probably alluded to it earlier, mm-hmm. but I, I want to say I want to see people like you two in reaching and achieving your dreams, mm-hmm. removing whatever barriers exist. If I can have some influence in removing some barriers I will feel like my life has been worth living, (laughs) finding out what's in the way and try to get it out of the way so that you can, and then those who come behind you, whether it's, you know, the younger generations or maybe even your own children at some point, they can take on roles that they never imagined. You know, I I had some goals uh, in the back of my mind and it got to a point where I had to let some of those goals go, but... uh, but some of you <laughs> and and your generation will take on those goals and become, you know, senators and doctors and lawyers and presidents and ambassadors and, you know, just run the world because you've got the smarts. You just need to get the barriers out of the way. So I think for this episode, there couldn't have been a better person who we selected to talk about the gender wage gap. Like Dr. Thomas, she did a very amazing job just with her whole delivery and the eloquence in which she portrayed the concepts to us Mm -hmm. and like giving her personal accounts and stories. I feel like that was really helpful. But also I was super intimidated at the beginning (laughs) because, you know, she have a whole PhD and I'm over here still an undergrad. But just how humble she came in with it and just like how she genuinely just had the advice to give us and all the examples and the just the ideas and things that we can take with us into mm-hmm. the future. And I think she did a really good job approaching the touchy subjects. Mm-hmm. So like wage gap and like vouching for yourself or things that women, women of color specifically, are not like known for doing. You often kind of settle or you just kind of accept certain things. Like, well, at least I was given an opportunity, mm-hmm. but very rarely do women vouch for themselves yeah and it's like how do you vouch for yourself without like overstepping your bounds right and like what are those bounds like just in general Mm -hmm. and I feel like she did a great job building up scenarios and giving you examples of times when it's okay to advocate for yourself to get what you want and what you need because they're not looking out for your best interest at the end Mm -hmm. of the day so like you're gonna have to be the person to advocate for yourself Mm -hmm. something that she also brought up is something that we've heard about about basically mentorship and Mm -hmm. finding people Mm -hmm. that can vouch for you like people in any higher position like to where you want to be networking is really huge and it's just basically having the courage to reach out to people yeah so I think something that she definitely picked on up on was like how intimidated we were and she's like well at least you've had the chance to talk to me so now I'm on your side Mm -hmm. and just like the importance of having people look in to tell you like I'm going to need you to do better I want more for you but also I need you to want more for yourself. Yeah. And I feel like for me personally, being a senior now, I've had like four years to reflect on being here at UNC. And I definitely can say without a doubt that I regret regret not networking way mm-hmm. earlier than I did. Freshman year, I wasn't really networking. I was super shy, you know, 
first generation college student. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what was going on, but that should have been the time that I was really networking and getting to know the campus and people who could help me. Obviously there's faculty, staff, upperclassmen who have been through what I'm about to go through. So it would have been more beneficial more early on. But I'm grateful that I did branch out and like into my end of sophomore year, junior year, and even in senior year, making those connections Mm -hmm. and like finding meaningful relationships with people because that's gonna go a long way. Even now that I'm graduating, there are a lot of people who are already in the workforce and I'm able to have connections with them. So potentially that's you getting your name out there for Mm -hmm. jobs or internships or whatever the case may be. It's definitely important to make sure you have that rapport with people. Yeah, I think one thing that I definitely took for granted also my first year was I just have my one group. Mm-hmm. We're all just kind of in it to have fun. We're here for a good time, not a long time type <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. But like, I'm so focused on making sure that everybody else in my group is okay, but not necessarily everybody is doing that for me. Mm-hmm. So what am I left with? Right. And so to like have to branch out, find who's for you, who can help you better yourself. You can have a group, but it doesn't necessarily have to be like everybody in the group is best friends. It's like, no, these are, this is your space. Mm -hmm. Like these are the friends, the family that you have made for yourself. Like who can I reach out for when I'm stressed out? Who will give me the best advice? Who will give me some good support? Like who can I call on? Cause I need like some affirmation. Mm. Cause I'm definitely like, Uh, vouch for um, mental health and everything so it's like who can I go to that'll be like look it's rough right now but it's about to get so much better just identifying that you do need help is always so important Mm -hmm. because it's something that women of color don't ask for and I can't stress it enough like it's such a taboo to even talk about mental health in general and Dr. Thomas was like okay but that is something that you definitely need like she was about to be taking like your time Mm-hmm. And it's all about your pace. And she talked about how she took like a pay cut for coming here for family raises and everything. But basically, it wasn't even about the money. It wasn't about all these different things. Like I was ready for a change. Mm-hmm. So it's like to even be in that position where you can just be like, well, I've gotten all I can out of this spot. Mm-hmm. Now I want to move on to something new. Yeah. And I feel like it's definitely what is the time when you feel like you're becoming too complacent in where you are Mm -hmm. and like you've learned all you can and you've shared all the knowledge that you can in that specific area her coming to UNC that was a great addition to our Mm -hmm. campus and to the Carolina Women's Center specifically Mm -hmm. and just how women in general we have so many elements that go into making up who we are you know Mm -hmm. for her it was she's a single mother she has two children and it's just all of this stuff encompasses the decisions that she makes Mm -hmm. and so it's just it's great to see that even at the end of the day, she was still putting herself first, like mm-hmm. her headspace and where what she thought was the best decision, even if it would, it did mean taking that pay cut. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in terms of like the gender wage gap, she gave us great tips on like, you know, just advocating for ourselves, mm-hmm. like and going into the workforce and like having this preface, do your research mm-hmm. and like because it's going to show. And like when you get into the interviews, you're, you should have like this list of things, not necessarily demands, but like expectations of the job. Right. Because, you know, other people and like men specifically, they're going in with the same things and they're getting these things because they're asking for them. Right. So it's like if you're not asking, you're not going to receive. And she basically said that um, by doing your research, you at least know what your minimum should be Mm -hmm. because otherwise like people are always trying to jip you 
she brought up the point that they didn't used to be allowed to talk about money and ask what somebody else was making in a comparison. But she was like, if you are positioning for like a greater position or anything like that, and it's like, you know, your worth, you can actually say, well, I kind of know that they're making such and such amount. So I know that I should at least be making this. Definitely. I've personally experienced that, like going into even jobs, like part time jobs and things Mm -hmm. that I have like to support myself during school. It's just like most of the time the managers, they're men and the Mm -hmm. the hiring managers, they're men. So it's like, I don't know if there's a stigma that they feel as if women aren't going to be as educated on the topic. But then I'm Mm -hmm. coming out here with all the facts and I know what other people are making, especially when I'm coming in with experience from other jobs. And you see that and you've contacted my previous references and you Mm -hmm. know this like this is what I'm bringing to the table, but still you're going to try to lowball and be like, okay, we can give you $8 an hour. When exactly. I know for a fact, the the guy in the same position that I'm applying for, they're making $9, $10 an hour, whatever the case may be. Exactly. Just make sure that you're advocating for yourself and right. you're not letting anybody sell you short. And don't be afraid to ask for more. Like if you think you deserve more, you can negotiate. But also a good point that she brought up was, but don't go into like your first position, basically being like, so I heard... This is what I should be making. It's like, okay, listen. Honey. Yeah. So you got to make sure the offer's on the table exactly. first. Exactly. <laughs> like make sure there's an offer before you start negotiating. Yeah. And I think it just definitely goes into being strategic mm-hmm. because it is a male-dominated society, unfortunately. Right. So just ensuring that you're setting yourself up for the best future that you can have, mm-hmm. whether that be like monetarily or whether that's just like enjoyment and fulfillment in general in your right. job, because you don't want to be stuck in something that you don't like to do Mm -hmm. but you're getting paid I guess more than you would want but it's not going to balance out because you're still going to have those issues in your life dreading going to work is going to be worse than not making enough at work yeah definitely so thanks again to our guest Dr. Gloria Thomas this episode was produced by myself Ricky Head Abby Murray Kamisha Chalmers and Karami Ba our executive producer is Erica Wallace and to leave you today, we have a quote by the great Beyonce, the one and only, power is not given to you, you have to take it. So as you go out into the workforce or your jobs or your college campuses, just remember to advocate for yourself because you're the only person who's going to be standing up for you at the end of the day. And don't forget to join us next week because we'll be talking about the imposter syndrome and it's going to be a great episode so you definitely don't want to miss it.